What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Ja Raffs, of course. We've got Jays. We got them for days. Josh, how you doing? And then I have a comeback question for you. Oh my! Yeah, I was just gonna say because I know you saw this too. All I can think about is why I haven't seen somebody take Patrick Beverly's comments and then immediately transition to Jim Mora saying playoffs. Because <laughs> I feel that's like that, fantastic. That has to. I can't be the only person who's thought of that idea, right? You can't be. That has to be LeBron's reaction to this. We might have to. We might have to quickly put it together and put it on Twitter because that that's that's there's something we're, to. We're that. talking about the playoffs. <laughs> Patrick Beverly's out here talking about the playoffs. And you know, it's one of those things that when you think about what could go wrong with Patrick Beverly on your team, <laughs> there's you know there's all of those things that can that come to your mind, right? Technical fouls and important situations. He kind of loses his cool. He gets in a fight with Russell Westbrook, like, on the floor. Like, a physical altercation. Like, all of those things kind of cross your mind. Not for a single second did I think that he was going to try and, I don't know, puff out his chest to LeBron James and Anthony Davis? I mean, what what are you trying to do? Are you trying to assert your dominance here? Like, I... Oh, I think that's exactly what he's trying to do. But But why? He's one of the. He's either the best player of all time or the second best player of all time. Who, depending on who you talk to, like what are we trying to do? There is no asserting your dominance against with when it comes to LeBron James. I like what are you? What could you possibly be achieving? I guess that would be the question I would ask Patrick Beverly. Achieving? Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I think the thought process. What does he is- think he's achieving? Making his presence felt and imposing his will a little bit. Whether that's a good idea or not, the idea of I am here, this team, and he's not entirely wrong about this part of it, by and large hasn't delivered, mm-hmm. right? There is something to that truth. Now, the way he framed it was amusing. <laughs> but this idea of I am here to go knock off some of this nonsense and mm-hmm. to get this team where it's supposed to be, they haven't done it. For the most part, without me, except for the run in the bubble, I'm going to bring a little bit of an edge this team needs. I think that, in the most simple terms, mm-hmm. I think he's yeah. trying to instill an edge that team doesn't have. And my very simple pushback is: When was the last time a team that had Patrick <laughs> Beverly on it? We're talking about edge. Patrick, or, or well, that or Patrick Beverly being the reason that that team is good. Like it's kind of like the seventh note on a bullet point list of why that team is good. And you know, Patrick Beverly, he's He's fine. I think there's some veteran leadership cultural stuff in there. At least that's what Patrick Beverly would say. Okay. That it goes beyond his... Right. It's not Patrick Beverly speaking from his success as an NBA Mm -hmm. player. It's Patrick Beverly and the vibes and the Mm -hmm. intensity and the experience and just the edge he brings to a team. My my question... And the toughness. That's the word I was looking for. Sure. My question also has to do with NBA pettiness. Oh, my. Why do NBA players care what Ronnie 2K (laughs) rates them in his video game? Like, why why do you care? Now, Kevin Durant tweeting at him is the most on-brand Kevin Durant thing I've ever seen in my life. Not surprising. None of it is surprising. I'm just, like, like why... This would be another... Like, I would like to ask the question, like, why why do you care? Like, Like, is it... Is it a like it has to be an ego yeah, thing oh, because 100%. that's the only that's yeah. the only explanation I can come yeah. up with. And it's not exclusive to the NBA. I mean, it's an NFL thing too with Madden. I I just don't understand. Like, who cares? Yeah, it's one hundred percent ego, dominance, respect kind of. I think I think if you were to ask, part of it goes into even the respect of. Yeah, Kevin Durant of what, 96? Instead of a Instead 99. Instead of a 99. Even though I could tell you in about 30 seconds why he's not sure. a 99 anymore. Right. Yeah, it's, it's 100%. There's there's not much more to it, from, in my opinion, than just... Yeah, it's... That's that, that's my... Like, it's an annual thing. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Every single year. Yeah. I, Madden, I 2K. Yeah. I just don't get it. Anyways. I think that's one of those things that just... You got to be a professional athlete to sort of have that perspective. I suppose. I suppose. And you got to be wired a certain way to get to the point where you're a professional athlete. That's true. This is also true. Um, 
You got anything else before we hop into the actual content of this podcast? I'm ready to go. The last thing I'll say, really, really, uh, the end of an era in a very real way in women's sports in general this week, Sue Bird, Serena Williams, both, I mean, we'll see if Serena, I mean, right, Sue Bird seems to be a very more fine, there seems to be more finality Mm -hmm. to Sue Bird's leaving yep. the WNBA than Serena actually saying I'm never playing tennis right, again. Right, that one's a little strange. Right. But from a, from we're talking about two of the greatest women mm-hmm. to ever play their sport. Yep. Um and Sylvia follows too a couple weeks right. before Sue Bird cuz the the Lynx did not right. have a great regular season. But yeah, 100% it is. I hadn't thought about it that way. But it is you're absolutely right. This is very much a defining moment mm-hmm. for women's sports and yeah we'll see hopefully this isn't the end of serena yeah kind of leaving that door open but i i had not thought about it that way but you are absolutely right anyways that's all i had also uh, major tennis brings the heat i was locked in the tennis <laughs> until like one o'clock yesterday in the morning absolutely brings the heat anyways a college basketball podcast we're now six minutes and 29 seconds into this podcast you haven't heard us talk about college basketball yet so we're gonna do that as you can see topic above my head the next installment of our summer rewind it's stats galore it's it's our it's our excuse to look through Kempom and other statistical websites categories however you'd like to however you'd like to put it in a in an ultimately maybe not that productive manner for no reason other than to find things that catch our eye and then share them with you and share them with each other. I'm oh, kind of pumped. I believe there's some some point to most of my stats. Okay, th- that is that is fair, but uh, past this podcast, I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, right, there's right, not right. a ton. Right. There's not a ton that I'm gonna do with these stats <laughs> because I'm very much in the like. You can use the stats to create context for the next season, but. Soon enough. Uh, but like a weekend, it's like, okay, it, I, I don't really care what their Kempom stats were last year other than, okay, how much, what's the difference from last year to this year? And then at, at that point, they're just kind of, they're just kind of artifacts. Right. Soon we're going to have actual numbers from this season to talk about. That would be lovely. Yeah. That would be lovely. Um, so this is like just a hodgepodge. I think that's the best way. It's stats galore. It's, it's really just a, um, a to use just a lovely word a regurgitation of <laughs> of stats into this podcast realm um i've got 10 he's got 10 i'm guessing there's going to be a lot of like trivia time type moments did you know this look what i found out that um this is you know we've, we've had several conversations this summer on the pod about things that we would have just talked about anyways um Without the microphone on, this is absolutely one of those. Like, you know, just so many random things um, while you're waiting for a game to start, that that kind of thing. So, very, very excited about this. I've got 10, he's got 10. Without further ado, where do you want to start? Oh, I'm starting? Yes, you're starting. Okay. Well, let's start. Most of these are team-specific. Okay. But I did do some looking at Kempom MVPs from last season. Ooh, so did I. I have one at Kem- oh. oh, I have Kempom... Player of the Year stuff. Okay. I have a Kim Palm Player of the Year thing. Okay, so I, I focused on game MVPs. Okay. There are two players who had 16 last season that are returning in college basketball this year. They had 16 that were... Say it one more time. So Sorry. the most game MVPs of players returning to college basketball this season, mm-hmm. 16. Okay. Two players. Okay. But you like to try and guess who they are. It's got to be... One's got to be Oscar Sheboy. He has 15. He has 15. Okay. Um, were either of these guys All-Americans? No. Are Do they play in Power 5 conferences? One does now. One does now. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. See, my my initial thought was Kendrick Davis, but he just moved in within his conference. That is one of them. Is that one of them? Correct. Okay. Kendrick Davis. And, but that wasn't the other guy. That yep. wasn't the guy that is now playing. Right. So we're talking a transfer. Yep. Are we talking? Oh, um, um, from UT Chat. What's that guy's name? Malachi Smith. Yeah. Is that him? Fifteen. 
I'm kind of, I, 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 I will say I'm 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 impressed You're, with oh, my yeah. with my consistency yes. here. Not Malachi Smith though. No. You want me to just give it to you? Yeah, go for it. Okay. The other one is Johnny Broom. Oh, okay. I would not I would not have uh, have gotten yeah. that. Johnny Broom, really. Yep. Interesting. So your other people at fifteen, of course, Big Maple. Mm-hmm. Big Maple, my guy. <laughs> and Jameer Young, who's now at Maryland, and Norchad Omir, who is at Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. They all had fifteen. So a lot of these guys, with the exception of Sheboy, transferred. A lot of these guys were at mid majors and are now, you know, the highest profile guys moving up to the high major level. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was kind of interesting that of the returning players, a lot of the guys who were the most valuable game to game, according mm-hmm. to Ken Palm, are now going to be smaller parts of more significant teams. In like theory. That. In theory. Well, listen, if Malachi Smith is not a smaller part of Gonzaga's team than he was at UT Chat, something went horribly wrong in Spokane this year. Horribly wrong. Um, I like that, though. That's not... The two guys at the top of that list, I guess I was able to guess one of them, so I guess by definition that was one I would have expected, but Johnny Broom, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, First of my Ken Palm Player of the Year... I only have one, but my Ken Palm Player of the Year thing is... Oscar Sheboy is the only Kentucky player to finish first in Kempom Player of the Year rankings. Ever? Ever. And well, in the 10 years that they have been doing Kempom Player of the Year. Not Anthony Davis, not Cat. Neither of them even finished second. Now, <laughs> there's some conversation there about how those teams functioned, right? Because if you look at Anthony Davis's stats at Kentucky, like they're like it's clear how good it was clear how good he was, but from a stats perspective, they don't jump off the page in the way some players' stats jump off the page. Because he didn't need to score. Right, exactly. And especially in the way that Oscar Sheboy's yep. stats are just absolutely preposterous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I remember Cat having... But, and then Cat was that year... Cat was the two lineups year, correct? Yes, I believe so. So those two things certainly play in play into that. And if Anthony Davis had to score a little bit more and Cat played 33 minutes a game, I am pretty confident one of those guys would have. But for a team... That has had so many impactful players, um, and I don't know, like if a guy like John Wall would have been in that conversation. I think, I believe, unless I'm, it was either that year or the year before that, or the year after John Wall was at Kentucky that he actually that Kim Palm actually started hosting those Player of the Year rankings. But for a team that is always in the spotlight, that always has so many good players, and has had two. I mean, three of the, what, 11 most dominant big men in college basketball over the last 12 years? I mean, like, two of those guys are probably in the top four at this point. I mean, at this point, Sheway has to be in that conversation that, for the, the most for important an, Especially for an individual season. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right, right. I yeah. mean, we're up there with, with some really, really impressive yeah. years. Oh, um, yeah. mm-hmm. I was I was surprised. Yeah, that is interesting. But that's all I had in Kentucky. That was that, right. that that was the extent of my that was the extent of my um, deep dive into I like Kentucky. It. To be honest with you, okay, where are we going next? All right, let's talk about luck. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> we're on the same wavelength. I here. think we're on the same wavelength. Do you know who the luckiest team, according to Ken Pop, was? Yes, it was Providence. That is correct. The other two teams I wanted to highlight in this group: Colorado State sixth, Wisconsin fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I went, did you go to the other end of the spectrum? I did not. Okay. I'm going to read you some of the notable high major teams at the bottom of the luck rankings. Okay. Utah, Georgetown, Oregon State, St. John's, and Kansas State. Okay. Do with that as you, as you please. Obviously, those were teams that, by and large, So those struggled. are just bad basketball teams. <laughs> Generally struggled quite a bit. Uh-huh. Not all of them, but most of them. Mm-hmm. So... That certainly is probably part of it too, but I wanted to, I wanted to sort of go yeah. to the other end of this as well. Providence, not only is Providence, and as you mentioned, they're the only team inside the top fourteen that played in a Power Five conference or Power Six conference. I mean, top fourteen because Wisconsin was fifteenth, correct? Yes. That's what you said? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, and we were talking briefly before the the podcast. Like this is my this is the stat that just makes more sense than any other stat. Like part of this, you know, part of this was like mm, I didn't know that, mm, didn't realize this. Um, like that that one just so checks out because 
you got to have at least some of it to win as many games in close. Because it was yep. like, oh my gosh, Providence won another game by right. one. Providence. They were going into, I mean, think, I think it was at least February, and they hadn't lost a game within five points or right. something. Their like clutch that. stats were off the charts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, with all due respect to Ed Cooley's team, Ed Cooley had a very good team last year. And I am very much in the guys, teams who are good and, like, just in general as a philosophy you put yourself in position to have good luck. I'm very much a believer in that. So it's not a shot at Providence. It just makes sense. Yes, it 100% does. I saw that and went, ah, yes. That, yeah. yeah, there were just a lot of... There's just no team that is that much better inherently than another team mm-hmm. in those final possessions in, in clutch time. Right. There are teams that are better positioned... And you could argue Providence is one of those because they had multiple offensive weapons and somebody who could get, who could get downhill with Jared Bynum. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you played that season a hundred times, I don't think there's another one where they end up with that remarkable of a record in close games. It was absolutely insane what they did for that stretch in the beginning of Big East play. Agreed. Um, you mentioned a team that I have in another one of my uh, stats. Um did you mention Georgia in there as well, or just Georgetown? Just Georgetown. Okay, but you, you mentioned Oregon State. Yes. And so Oregon State and Georgia were historically bad defensively last year. Ah. They were 318th and 320th at Kempom in adjusted defensive efficiency. That's tough. That's impressive. Like, like to, to kind of put this into context, Cal in the last 10 years is the second closest to those teams at 286. There were multiple years I looked where the worst, the worst power five. I, I think powers, but definitely power five. The worst power five defensive team at Kempom was inside the top two fifteen, on multiple occasions, and no other time had there been a team in outside the top three hundred. And it happened twice last year with Georgia and Oregon State. Um, the two teams combined to go nine and. 54? 9-54? and 54? No. Worse than that. No, 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 that's right. 9-54. and 54. That's a lot. That's really bad. And, it, but like, even the really bad Power 5 teams tend to like have a, like a defense that is no worse than like 215. Yeah. Oh, right. Like and it said, was absolutely atrocious. It is really difficult to get down that far just because right. of the level of competition you play right. in exactly. the conference. Yeah. I guess I'll say two things. One, let's all remember not to be over overreact when Oregon State makes an NCAA tournament run, <laughs> and not make sweeping declarations about the Pac-12 based mm. on said Oregon State mm. run. And two, yeah, Mike White has some work to do defensively. Yeah. That might be the understatement of the century. But, yes, Oregon State, impressively bad in defensive efficiency. And then I was like, wait, Georgia is right there next to them. We have to talk about it. I love it. All right, I also want to talk about tempo here for a second. Okay. Would you like to guess? I have an overall conclusion at the end of this, but would you like to guess what team led the country in tempo last season? St. John's. Correct. Nice. Wow. Nice. Very Look impressive. Look at that. And then you had some teams you would expect in the top 15, Georgia, Arizona, Alabama. Mm-hmm. So up-tempo, that bad of a defense, man. <laughs> no yeah. wonder they went 6-26. and 26. So I'm trying to decipher what... Okay. Yeah, so there were six... Stand by while we read our own handwriting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, everyone else. Okay, so everyone else in the top fifteen in tempo was outside the top one forty three in overall Ken Palm ranking. Okay, nine of those teams were outside the top two twenty five. Okay, so you had some of the best teams in the country and a bunch of teams that did not have a lot of success playing super fast. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you had six top one hundred teams in the bottom fifteen, and only two of those top, bottom fifteen teams were outside the top two fifteen in overall Ken Palm. If that okay. makes sense. Yep. So I thought that was kind of interesting that going fast in general did not work out so well. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of teams in the 100 to 200 range in the, in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Who were your Virginias of the world, right? They weren't fantastic last year, but they were 
some, I don't remember off the top of my head, but right, between 75 and 100 in Ken Palm. Mm-hmm. And at the top, you had Gonzaga, Arizona, Alabama was really good, and a bunch of teams that really struggled. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I have a similar, an adjacent stat, a commentary on a certain stat in the grand scheme of things. So I want to talk about three-point shooting. Oh, we're going to talk about three-point shooting. Okay. Um, So my three-point shooting stats all have to do with the context of regular season success versus tournament success. Oh, okay. And kind of how, like, the commentaries are are different. So the five, the top five three-point shooting teams in the country, all five of them made the tournament. The highest seed in the tournament was Purdue at three. They were tied for fifth. The other five, so they were tied for fifth. There are five teams that have that percentage or better. South Dakota State, Colgate, Virginia Tech, Davidson, and Longwood. All five of those teams made the tournament. All five of those teams had to win their conference tournament to make the tournament. If I remember, Davidson won the A-10 that tournament. I believe so. No, Richmond did, didn't they? Ooh, you're right. You're right. So I, I apologize, Davidson. But so but here are here are regular season records. South Dakota State went thirty and five. Davidson went twenty seven and seven. Longwood went twenty six and seven. Purdue went twenty nine and eight. Those are the six of the seven best three point shooting teams in the country last year from a percentages perspective. Um None of them. I mean, Purdue was the only team to win a game in the tournament. Everybody else lost in the round of 64. And then when, and I also want to contrast that with where the four final four teams mm-hmm. finished in three-point shooting last mm-hmm. year. Because it's not bad, but it breeds kind of, kind of the, you know, the holy grail of any college basketball team. It breeds balance. So the four final four teams... Duke, UNC, Kansas, and Villanova. Also, what a blue blood Final Four. Yep. I looked back. I was like looking back at it again to make sure I, you know, had it right. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that is that like all four teams are blue, right? Yeah, all four teams are some shade of blue. Right. They're all blue bloods. It just it, it is the epitome of a college basketball Final Four. Um, the Final Four teams, the the best three-point shooting team of the Final Four teams finished 37th last year in three-point shooting, and that was Duke at 37th, tied for 37th. And the worst three-point shooting team was 59th. So 37th to 59th. My point here is what we've kind of, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it, it's a validation of what kind of what we talk about every year. The teams that live and die by the three-pointer. Yeah. Gonzaga was uh, top 30. They lost in the Sweet 16. So Duke was the highest ranked. Duke and Purdue, after Purdue, Duke was the team that made it the furthest relative to their three-point shooting percentage. Nobody ahead of Duke in that category made it past the Sweet 16. Um, but all four Final Four teams were between 37 and 60. So this conversation of if you're living and dying by the three-pointer, you're probably not going to make a super deep run in the tournament. Um, But at the same time, if you shoot the three really, really well in the regular season, you're probably going to have a pretty good record. Um, You know, Virginia Tech was 23 and 13. Colgate was 23 and 12. Um, But the majority of those teams had really, really good regular seasons. I mean, Purdue had the most losses of that top, you know, of those other teams, and they they had eight. Um, so a, you know, we talk about that every year. Like if they have a bad three point shooting night, are they going to lose? And granted, these are mid major teams, Virginia tech, um, making a run late in the tournament to kind of late in the season to steal a bid, uh, the automatic bid for the ACC. Um, but the balance has to be there for the teams that, I mean, uh, you know, also at the top of the list, the UAB Jacksonville state in terms of teams that made the tournament, Notre Dame, um, but the balance is is where it takes you takes you deep into the. Gotta have a plan B. This is true. Yeah, this is true. And it also goes to the just when you were talking. This makes me think of why I'm so high on Creighton this season. Mm. Is mm. because that Creighton team couldn't shoot. Nope. They are 
if they come back to something similar philosophically and statistically to what they were last season, of course, they should be better shooting the ball. But they have all the other foundations where they're not the same team they used to be where they shoot 38, 39%, 40% from three and right losing the round of 32 to the Sweet 16 because they have no plan B offensively. Right. Just that's what came through my head when you said that. So three-point shooting. Do you have yes. three-point shooting stats? I have one I'd like to say for the end. Okay. But I also have one specific to Virginia Tech, so let's go there since you mentioned them. This is one of the things that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Okay. Like you said, Virginia Tech, excellent three-point shooting team, 39.2%. 47.1% from the field. Do you know how many points they averaged? How many? 70.8. Okay. That was 178th in the country. And they were top 35 and three-point and field goal percentage. Mm. Which tells you this is a commentary on... Their ferocious defense? Or I was going to go in the direction of rebounding and... Ferocious, that's not a word. <laughs> You're Don't going for it. some combination Don't... of heroic and ferocious? <laughs> horrendous, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I, I was going more on the just not getting enough shots. Mm. Period. Because... 70.8 points is just not a lot. Yeah. That they were them... 301st in tempo last year. Yeah. So, so you're not going, you're not playing very fast. You're not getting yourself extra opportunities. It's just very difficult to be that good and that efficient offensively. Oh, wait. Sorry. Score. I'm in the wrong year. One moment. Oh. One moment. Sorry. I was like, they, they finished under 500. They oh, weren't yeah. allowed <laughs> to make the tournament. Hold on. Um, they were three, they were even worse. They were yes. 340th in tempo. So that's, that's definitely part of it. I just, those numbers don't cal- compute in my head. Mm-hmm. They were so efficient, but they couldn't figure out how to do it the way Virginia did when they won the national championship because I think they were scoring something like 75 a game. Mm-hmm. I just found that interesting. And it kind of added to their inability to get a truly good win Yep, because they also didn't defend the three-point line very well, especially in conference play. Um, but, yeah, it's... That's a that's. Those don't exactly those 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 sets don't exactly add up. That's all I got. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, where do I want to go next? Let's see. How many of these have I given you already? I've given you one, two, three. I've given you four. Okay. Uh, I've given you four as well. Okay, perfect. That that checks out. Um. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Let's talk um, percentage of team shots because I found this interesting. Okay. So Kim Palm's stats are percentage of the team's shots when they're on the floor. Okay. Terrell Brown from Washington was the... It's it's usually a stat that's dominated by mid-major guys that are high-volume scorers. Um, Terrell Brown was the highest power five guy at like 18th. Do you know who's second? Malachi Smith? Nope. Se- that, who was second? Sorry, second oh, in, oh, bi- in Power oh. 5 player. I was who was going the in the second, wrong direction. Who was the second highest shot percentage gotcha. guy when he gotcha. was on the floor in the country for Power 5 teams? So this has got to be a player from a really good team. It was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a team that was very good that we were consistently wishing was a little better. Jay Nivey. You're on the right team. This is when the player's on the floor? When the player is on the floor. Zach Eady? That's correct. Zach Eady was the second highest shot percentage guy while he was on the floor. Which checks out because, like, if it wasn't Jade... And, and Travion Williams is, like, fourth on this list. So neither of them played a ton. Yep. So because of the... Right, they, they both played at least 40% of the minutes, which is the criteria to be on the list. And... They also, right, when they were in the game, a lot of things went through the post, yes. especially if Jaden Ivey wasn't on the floor. But, yeah, that was just a name I was not expecting to see near the top of that list. Um, also high on that list for Power 5 guys, um, Scotty Pippen Jr. at Vanderbilt, and there was one more. Uh, oh, um, JD, J.D. Note. That ah, was the yep. other guy that okay. was right there in terms of the, the tippity-top. Yeah, she got a bunch of... <laughs> A bunch of, you know, attack-minded, sort of freewheeling guards. 
and produce bigs. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's just it, it's it was all the guys that I would expect to be at the top of that list, and then like when I thought about, it, I was like, okay, yeah, that actually yeah, that, that makes it, it that does makes make sense. sense. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't expecting to see Zach. E- like the last thing I think about when I think of Zach Eady is uh, a focal point of the offense that Jaden Ivey is also a part of. Right. It'll be really interesting to see how that changes this year without mm-hmm. Trayvon Williams and now that he's going to be the guy down low. Yeah. Because you'd have to think it's going to decrease. But this is also still Matt Painter with his big, so the offense is going to run through him. Right. And there is no Jaden Ivey, obviously. So Exactly. Very, very interesting. Exactly. I'm halfway home. I would like to discuss experience next. Please do. Okay. <laughs> I, I suppose. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> So six of the 25 most experienced teams in the country made the tournament. Okay. They were not exactly the... Six of the 25 most experienced. Yes. Okay. You got Texas Southern, who was a 16 seed, Vermont a 13, Providence a 4, Texas a 6, Richmond a 12, and Seton Hall an 8. Okay. So some teams on the lower end, some pretty good teams. Nobody you're looking at as a real national title contender. Mm-hmm. There were two teams that made it who were 325th or lower in experience. Okay. Would you like to guess who those teams were? First on the list, I would guess, is Duke. That is correct. Okay. Second. This one's trickier. Made the tournament. Are they young for the same reason that Duke is young? No. So they just kind of lost a bunch of guys last year. There was a significant amount of roster turnover. Because of transfers or graduation? Combination. Coaching okay. change as well. Okay. Were they a good team or just like a middle-of-the-pack team? Depends on who you ask. But it's either good or middle-of-the-pack, yeah. not middle-of-the-pack They the were pack flawed, okay. but also very good at times. Okay. It was Lots just kind of, of an entire team. new era. New players, Texas new coach. Tech? No. No, they would have been... Yeah, they have a lot of... There are not those kind of three-year right. guys. Now, they had a couple transfers that came in that were very experienced, but the core of the team was very young. Hmm. You talked about this team last week. We talked about this team last week. What did we talk about last week? We talked about departures last week. Yes. This team lost an important player to the NBA draft who was still eligible to play in college. Okay. Hmm. Who was a sophomore. Oh, man, you're, like, putting it on a tee for me. <laughs> Just tell me. Marquette. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Because you had your Daryl Morcells, but there were also right. a lot of first- and second-year guys out there. Yeah. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. We talk about success or, you know, experience being a key to success and making it easier to yeah. be successful. The numbers more or less back that up. Duke, of course, finds a way to overcome that, as Kentucky right. has in the past with right. sheer talent. Yeah, yeah But yeah. also, Marquette found a way, so yeah. good for Shaka Smart. Just a Shaka Smart. <laughs> we, we, we are a believer in Shaka Smart oh, yes, Marquette era. Yeah, 100%. Okay, where am I going next? You know, you would think I'd be ready for this kind of thing. Um, I want to talk about um, um, Power 5 guys who averaged the most points in the country last year. Okay. So, again, another stat that is typically littered with with some of both. But pretty often, the guy at the very top of that list is a very, very high volume. like Terrell Brown. Correct. Terrell Brown, Marcus Keene. <laughs> Scotty Pippen. You know, Marcus Keene. Yeah. Um, when talking about the tippity top of that list, Marcus Keene, Chris Clemens. Um, last year, it was Peter Kiss from... Yeah. Uh, Peter, I'm so sorry. I'm blanking on the school, too. They played in the tournament, and he kind of crapped the bed, and that made me a little sad. Coley? Bryant. 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 So, sorry, Peter. Peter was 25.2 points last year. Um, was not the Northeastern Conference Player of the Year, by the way. Hmm. He was the tournament MVP, but not the Player of the Year. Um, first part of the question is trivia time. Who was the highest-ranked player from a Power 5 school on that list. Who averaged the most points out of all the Power 5 schools. I'm going to guess Terrell Brown. No. 
Terrell, Terrell, efficiency is not exactly exactly Terrell's. Oh, oh, this is efficiency. No, 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 no. I'm saying he took a lot of shots, but Terrell's thing is not efficiency. Yes, sure. Do I get a conference? Um, no, no. You do get this guy was a lottery pick. Oh, it's Keegan Murray. It is Keegan Murray, and the extension of this is that. An Iowa player has now three years in a row been in the top five of points per game in the country. I was about the and like when you really think about right, it's Luca Guards and Keegan Murray. So right. this is not it's not like it's been three different players. Right. But the last place I would like there's just nothing. Iowa is the most efficient, lucrative, unsexy offense of all time. It's just a bunch of threes and like not super athletic guys and then. But like Keegan, Murray, like it's Keegan Murray is a different breed of like NBA. Pro- I mean, Luka Garza came back because he like wasn't gonna get drafted after his first first team All America year, right? And he came back and he did basically the same thing, basically the same thing again. Um, but first of all, Keegan Murray had a whale of a year. Like we yeah, talked he, a ton really about did. Johnny Davis last year yeah. because it kind of was unexpected to to see him take the step that he did, but. Keegan Murray was just absolutely like and just a preposterous year, um, and then to just like it's Iowa. That's the mainstay in the at the very and I like I wouldn't be stunned if the other Murray takes a big say, step this Chris year Murray, and like you're up next. And, like and, like and might be kind of in that same conversation. I would not be stunned uh, in an offense that is very lucrative for for good scores. Um, but yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yep, Chris Murray, yeah. your turn, buddy. Other other guys on that list just for fun. Um, Terrell Brown Jr. was seventh. John, Javon Free Liberty. Liberty was was eighth. Uh, Kobe, Kobe Coburn, Scotty Pippen Jr. and then twenty fifth was Johnny Davis. EJ Liddell's up there, but then you know then we get to our buddy Bayheims of the world. Anyways, that's uh, that's number six on my list. All right, number six for me is just a statistic. And I'm going to let you react as you will. Okay. I have no greater analysis here. That is fine. TCU, UConn, Houston, Kentucky, Memphis, Baylor, Murray State, Alabama, Purdue, Arizona, all top 15 in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. Read it to me again. TCU, UConn, Houston, Kentucky, Memphis, Baylor, Murray State, Alabama, Purdue, Arizona. So you've got some of the best teams in the country mm-hmm. and a bunch of good... I think my point here when I was putting this stat in there was basically the the high major or very good teams in this top 15 were all, you know, NC tournament, not just NCAA tournament caliber, but actually really good. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a bunch of teams that snuck into the tournament or a bunch of random teams from the SEC, Pac-12, and Big Ten who didn't make the tournament or something. These were, you know, your Baylors, your Kentuckys, Murray State had a great season. Some of these teams, not particularly surprising, UConn, Kentucky, Purdue, with mm-hmm. all of their size. But then you have, you know, your Memphises and Baylors and stuff. I just thought that was kind of interesting that in terms of indicating success offensive rebounding percentage did a pretty good job i let's see if i can find it hopefully i can find it but so i did when we were seniors in high school in college i did a five things to know about the the upcoming men's basketball season Mm -hmm. and one of those one of those stats was about rebounding margin um and you're doing this is offensive rebounding percentage right so kind of in that same vein and you know what i'm gonna go i'm I'm gonna talk and try to find it but basically the gist of the stat i found was that like 62 of the 68 teams that made the 2019 ncaa tournament had positive rebound margins and and that kind of goes to what you're mm-hmm. talking about here. That and, and like Butler in 2018-19 was horrendous on the glass. They got reba- just out rebounded a ton, and that was a, a relatively down year for for Butler. Um, 
And so I talked about that in that, but but the the idea I think rebounding when we're looking at rebound right extra shots, yep. um, you know limiting shots on the other end when talking about rebounding margin in particular, um, yeah that doesn't surprise me at all that the the teams at the top of that list there are some really good teams up there. I'm not going to be able to find it quick enough for That's this okay. for this audio podcast here, but um, in my my in my SEO I literally typed in my name and. <laughs> Like Butler men's basketball 2019-20 and the Butler Collegiate, and it didn't come up, and I'm a little disappointed about it. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm not upset about it. Um, anywho, yeah, that, that that doesn't surprise me in the slightest that that is a at least somewhat of an indicator when it comes to and good basketball teams. It is one of the foundations Tom Izzo has built his program on. You know, you don't hear that very often, but that mm-hmm. is 100% part of what Tom Izzo wants his program to be. Mm-hmm. Right, it's rebounding. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's working out pretty well. <laughs> I think I think you're right. Okay, I've spent way too much time doing this to not to not find it. So uh, please give me another one, and then I'll give you. Okay, one. this one is just kind of random. Okay, but there were three conferences that accounted for ten of the fifteen teams that had the highest defensive turnover percentages. In the country. Okay. So these were the teams that forced the most turnovers per possession, basically. Okay. Would you like to guess what those three conferences were? The the three conferences that made up the highest turnover percentage. Ten of the 15 highest defensive turnover percentage teams came from these three conferences. Are they all power five? No. (laughs) There's one high major. So the Big East? No. I thought you might have been subconsciously yeah, saying no. high major because no. um, this part didn't shock me. Think about what conference was really good defensively last season. The Big Twelve, correct? Okay. I think I didn't write all the teams now, but I think Baylor was in there, Iowa State, Texas, and I believe one more. Okay. Oh, it was Texas Tech, I think. Okay. Yeah, Texas Tech was like third in defensive efficiency last yeah, year. So I think those were the out. four from the Big 12. Okay. Um, and the other two, you have no idea. Like, the other two are... I have no clues to give you if you would like to try and guess them. Um, the America East. No. I, I mean, you're on the right track. Uh, I don't know. It's the Whack and the Miak. The Miak. The so, Whack and the Miak. There gotcha. you have it. They were playing some aggressive defense, getting all kinds of turnovers over there. I love it. Um, okay. I have an excerpt to read from you okay. from from a let's see what when was this when was this pu- published from November sixth two thousand nineteen five questions about Butler men's basketball it's because it didn't have twenty nineteen twenty in the title ah. which I guessed at the time was fine because it was obvious which basketball team was about to start playing games okay uh, quote I'm quoting myself here <laughs> quote in two thousand eighteen nineteen Butler was two hundred seventy second in the country in rebounding margin that's pretty bad. Um, on average, the Bulldogs lost the rebounding battle to their opponent by two rebounds per game. To give that some context of the 64 teams in the 2019 NCAA tournament, not including the teams who lost in the first four. Um, 56 of them had a rebounding margin of zero or better. And then I asked people, the readers, to please appreciate the stat because I went through all 64 teams <laughs> to see what their rebounding margin was. And eight of the teams who made it, and of the eight teams who made it despite losing the rebounding battle, more than half were 15 or 16 seats. So really, they were just bad teams that won their, their conference mm-hmm. tournament. Or, you know, relatively good mid-major teams. But teams that struggled in the regular season a yes. little bit. So. There you go. So, there you go. Bravo for doing all that work. Thank you, thank you. And thank you for appreciating my work. <laughs> Similarly to all the time I spent looking up the rebounding margin of NCAA tournament teams. Um, okay. So, do you, have you given me seven, seven now? Yes. i got to catch up. Okay. Yes. Um, trivia time. Only Gonzaga, Gonzaga and one other team have finished in the top 18 at Kempom each of the last five years. Who's okay. the other team? Kansas. No. Really? Oh, they're a fourth seed. They finished like 27th that year or something. And because and that was the David McCormack hurt year, I believe. Yes, I believe you're right. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. If that no, I think that was the year he was. Uh... Either that or that was the year that he was supposed to be really good. Yes, it was that year. Because it was two seasons ago. Yes. When Baylor won the Big 12. I believe so. I believe yeah. That's right. And the national championship. 
Hmm. Villanova. Nope. Is it a high major team? It is not. A, it is. It is a team that's not. That's from a conference not typically considered one of the six best conferences in the country, but seven really? usually. You're gonna you, be like, oh, 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 yeah. oh, Houston. That's correct. I don't have a ton more other than just the consistent. Yeah. And every year we look up like, oh my gosh, Houston is like fourth at Kempom again. Yeah. Um, 18th, and I can't remember which year it was, but 18th is the worst they finished in the last five years. Gonzaga is the only other. Because your UNCs of the world have had a bad, Duke yep. had that bad year. Yep. Um, Kansas had a year that hasn't had a truly bad year, right. but finished outside of the top like 23 one year. Um, and then everybody else kind of cycles in, right? Michigan had a bad year, so yeah. Michigan. And Villanova had the... Michigan Tom Gillespie injury season right where they weren't great mm-hmm. so yeah well there in you terms go. of Kempom consistency yeah. Houston is the only team in the same class yeah. as Gonzaga and Gonzaga is ridiculous Gonzaga is like <laughs> top 11 or something yeah. top and 12 both those teams should finish inside the top 10 again this year too yeah. <laughs> absolutely um okay so that's one um where am I going next um I got two different conference ones so I've got two different conference ones and a team individual one that I want to save for last. Um, So I'll give you one of those conference ones. Um, So the Big 12 as a conference had a rating of plus 18.74 in efficiency, or 3.32 points ahead of the SEC. That's basically the same gap between the SEC in second and the ACC in fifth. And we can right, to, to, we talked all season about how bad the ACC was, mm-hmm. but the gap between SEC at two and ACC at five was basically the same gap. It was a slightly bigger, but basically the same gap as between Big Twelve and the SEC. I wanted to take a moment to appreciate just how good the Big Twelve was last year. I'm stunned Big Ten wasn't two. No, there were there were seven. SEC and my other conference thing is about the SEC. Okay. There were seven top 33 Kempom teams in the SEC. Kempom did seem to like the SEC last yeah. season. But to the bigger point, yes, the Big 12 is the best conference in the country because, as we talk about all the time, there are so few weak links. Mm-hmm. You are playing, and now it's going to unfortunately change a little bit, but this iteration, you're playing 70% of your games, at least, against NCAA tournament quality teams. Mm-hmm. And generally, seven NCAA tournament teams. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's six depending on the season, mm-hmm. but... You go through the list, and you've got you know your eight or nine ACC teams, probably your eight or nine Big Ten teams, and then seven or eight Big Twelve teams, and it's basically the entire conference. And then there's the two teams, and you go, well, somebody has to take the L's here. Right, exactly. It's, it is something that I just don't think gets enough credit is how good from top. And of course, now it's not even a discussion because as the Big Ten continues this and this national championship drought that I don't put a lot of stock in. Mm-hmm. By the way, the Big 12 just had two different teams win national titles back-to-back. Yep. They got the depth and the power at the top. Mm-hmm. It is, yes, still, to me, grossly and underappreciated. And they had another team the year before losing the national championship game. Right, and the year before that, Kansas was the best team in the country. Right. Well, the COVID year. Can't, well, the I was thinking. Well, twenty nineteen oh. Texas Tech lost to Virginia. Right, right. In twenty twenty, right. Kansas, Kansas was, was the best team in the country. Considered the best team in the country. Then Baylor won. Then Kansas won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost <laughs> like it's not that we yeah. don't have to make it that complicated. Yeah. Um. But yes, that's what I had. Um. So now I've got. I can continue with my SEC if you'd like. Um. You have three left. I have two left. Okay, I've got three left. Okay, so then hit me. Hit me with one. All right. So I want to jump back to Houston for a second. Okay. Again, this is a very Random statistic I don't have too much to say about. Okay. But I thought it was interesting. Of all of the things Houston does well, where would you put rebounding on that list? I mean, I, if you made me guess, I'd probably just consider them a an above-average rebounding team. You don't exactly think, right, you think of the defense, you think of the guards, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The coaching. Yes, right. Fundamentally sound, don't beat themselves, difficult to play against. Which I suppose rebounding comes into play there. Sure. Houston led the country in offensive rebounds by 23 and were fourth in the country in total rebounds. Now, that was, I believe both of those were actual totals, not averages per game. So NCAA tournament has something to do with that. Mm -hmm. But still. Yeah. Absolutely dominant on the glass. In addition to the defense and the efficient offense, they just do everything well. 
They do do everything. <laughs> they were 12th in rebound margin last yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Um, did you just say that? No. Okay. Um, yeah. But so. I'm right. just a really good. At, it's just not something I associated with Houston, but I started looking for rebounding stuff, and I went, oh, yeah, there's Houston with, you know, the teams you would think your North Carolinas and your Purdue's and the teams with all the giant seven-footers. Right. And here's Houston. <laughs> that that team is unbelievably consistent. Like, it is a, it is a an, an American athletic <laughs> conference team. Like, and, and yes, it is Houston. It is an incredibly storied basketball history. But it has just become... It needs to be on that list with the Gonzagas, with right as I just laid yeah. out. It is becoming, it is becoming a an annual thing for Houston to have a team capable of making yeah. it to the Final Four. And and that's not usually like even if nobody would disagree with that, right? It's not like people are going out of their way to saying that's not the case. It's just not how Houston is typically talked about. And it's not like they load themselves up in non-conference the way Gonzaga does. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, their conference schedule and their sort of game-to-game grind in the AAC is more strenuous than Gonzaga's. But it's not like they show up having played 15 NCAA tournament teams. Or, you know, that's a slight exaggeration for Gonzaga, but not that far the past couple of seasons. Right. Where you go, okay, yeah, they've been... You get a good test against St. Mary's. You get a good test against San Francisco, BYU. But then you play some cupcakes. But you sort of sandwich that with playing what equates to a high major conference schedule and non-conference. Right. Houston isn't afraid to play anybody. They'll play a couple good teams here or there, but they just show up and then they just beat all the other all the high major teams. Yeah. It's it's really remarkable like you said. It's just consistency. They always show up in the NCAA tournament. They show up game to game. It's it's incredible. When was the last time the SEC finished second in Kimpom? Mm. You can answer it however you want to. You can answer with who won the SEC that year and who was playing on that team. You can answer with the year. I'm gonna. I was gonna say the last time Florida won the national championship. That's correct. Oh, the, that's correct. Let's go. And, and when I look at it, it was really because Florida was that good that year. <laughs> like they were 35 and three. Like like the efficiency numbers were off the chart. Right. Like, they, well, they brought back the national. Right. This is game. This is year two of the national championship. This is just. The sequel, and they were like, like there was nobody else in that conference that was blowing me away with how good they were. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but in two thousand seven, right, it was Florida finished. Florida finished thirty five and five, was second in efficiency that year, first in offense, fifteenth, thirteenth in defense, and Tennessee, and then there was Kentucky at thirteenth, but that was the only other team inside the top twenty five. So. They finished second, but it was really because Florida was that good. Um, and then they had a run early in the Kempom era where they finished like first in back-to-back years, like really early in the in the Kempom era. Um, but just a commentary on like I feel like I've been talking about for the last couple of years. Like put put the SEC's coaching roster up against anybody. Oh, for sure. At this point, and especially now with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, right. Like, and especially last year, I mean, like I said, seven top 33 Kimpom teams in in efficiency last year. Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, LSU, Alabama, Texas A&M. And they were second, even though, even with the stinkers like Georgia finishing outside of the top 215. Um they still don't have the overwhelming right when you have 14 teams it's it's more difficult to finish at the very top of the Kempom conference rankings because right it's just easier to have 10 teams inside the top 127 than it is to have 14 teams inside inside the top 127 so or to have 10 really at least decent teams right um right because if you take the top 10 even the top 11 at in the SEC last year, the worst ranked team, the top 10, the worst ranked team would have been 64th. Top 11, all of them would have still been inside the top 100. Um, but right, we look at that, the roster of coaches, and we look, you know, the last couple years, especially last year, if you took the top five SEC teams in the country, the top five, the top five <laughs> SEC teams, and you put them up against the top five teams against the power five conferences around the country, 
you feel pretty good about who, who you got in the SEC. And, right, it is, you know, the commentary here is that coaching roster is really excellent at this point. And it's no longer a two, hopeful, a, you know, a one, hopefully two team national title contender conference, you know, make a deep run in the tournament kind of conference that it was kind of in the middle, you know, from 2013 to 2018. Yeah. The one knock is that you haven't had that truly elite team sure. for a while. Now, sure. Kentucky came pretty close last season. Kentucky might do it again this season. Mm-hmm. Auburn had a stretch at number one there. Then they kind of fell off a little bit. Sure. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. And the big thing that's changed for me is, right, you go five, six, seven deep now, and you're looking at these seeds because you've still got it up. Two, two, three, four, six, six. Yeah. Those are the teams that made the tournament, right? There was nobody sneaking in. Mm-hmm. They were just all really good all season long, mm-hmm. and that's something you don't have. That's what you, that's what what you associate with the Big Ten, the Big East when it's really good, and of mm-hmm. course the Big Twelve, just because mm-hmm. there are always five ranked teams in that conference. It feels like, right? But absolutely, this is the SEC is coming. I don't want to say coming back to life because you know Kentucky has been there, mm-hmm. <laughs> but from a depth standpoint and teams you feel like are top twenty five, even top fifteen programs in the country. Mm-hmm. You look at what Arkansas is doing. You look at what NATO has done in Alabama. Kentucky's not going anywhere. It is truly, imp- and of course, then you have Rick Barnes and Bruce Pearl, who we didn't talk about on that list too. Right. It is incredible how much this conference has improved, and also just the trajectory of these teams and the conference as a whole moving forward. Mm-hmm. That they're not going anywhere. No, definitely not. Okay, I've got one more. Okay, I've got two. Okay. So the top 17 teams in total field goals attempted. So again, this is slightly skewed because if you get to play more games, obviously you're going to take more shots. All of them won at least 21 games. Okay. I was trying to see, does the amount of shots you get up impact it? And it's not as impressive when you take the averages, Mm -hmm. but the point is still the same. 11 of those teams made the NCAA tournament. Would you like to guess who team 18 was? So this is the first team who didn't win at least 21 games in terms that was 18th in field goals attempted. St. John's? That's correct. <laughs> I, just had I to, love how predictable St. John's I just had to break that one up. Oh, I love it. I love it. You have all these teams that had good to great seasons, and the first one who got up a bunch of shots and didn't translate to wins, the Johnnies. The Johnnies, baby. We're still waiting. We're still waiting. I'll, I'll believe success in the Big East when I see it. I don't think Andre Corbello is the guy either. Um, I love that. I love that. Okay. Just wait till you wait for my last one. Okay. Um, I'll go first with my last one. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're talking about UNC. Ah, okay. You know where UNC finished in efficiency last year? Finished. After their, after their run. 11th or something? 16th. They were 18th in adjusted offensive efficiency. 35th in adjusted defensive efficiency. On February 19th, <laughs> they lost to Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. At this point, neither of those teams had a quad one win. I think it was still at that point. Because neither of because they they lost on the road. It was a sub. It was still not a quad one win for Virginia Tech. I might be wrong about that. But they should not have... A Final Four team typically doesn't lose to Virginia Tech. At least the Virginia Tech team of last year. Right before they go on a run. So, on February 19th, here is where they were sitting in their Kempom ring. So, my point here is that just to take a step back when it comes to where we see teams and finish the season at Kempom. Here's on February 19th where they finished. They were 49th overall in Kempom efficiency. Only? Wow. 49th. They were 22nd in adjusted offensive efficiency. And then here's my favorite one. They were 117th in defensive efficiency on February 19th. They jumped from 117th to 35th at the end of the season. So you're saying they got a little better defensively. They got a little better defensively. Um, and and like on, like Which is interesting because I remember the conversation surrounding UNC being, man, look how much better the guards are. Yeah. And Brady Manick is all of a sudden giving you 18 a game. Right. And yeah. They went for, they, no, they were better. They went from 22nd to, what I say, 18th. So they were better. But they were an atrocious defensive team before they went on that run. And yes, now part of that is 
right there are you know the tournament I, I i will always believe it's harder to make shots in the tournament right but but they they transformed the deal like like the tournament being a little bit harder to make shots in a different environment does not account for the 84 83 spot jump and bart torvik bart torvik bart man bart torvik uh mirrored the same kind of sentiment they were 23rd and 82nd in offensive and defensive efficiency finished 17th and 33rd so based on what i remember the conversation being around north carolina when they were making that run it was okay can the guards keep up this efficiency can brady manic continue to be this good it was a lot of offensive talk and where they transformed their team in the last month and a half of the season was on the defensive end and that's one of the things if you want to convince me they're going to be a top three team in the country that's how you do it Mm -hmm. that's one of the most compelling pieces of evidence i've heard because I still have some questions, not whether they can be a top three team with this roster, but just with the offensive structure and the way those guards operate. Mm-hmm. But if that defensive change and transformation sticks, now you're onto something because you've got enough weapons offensively with mm-hmm. Baycott, with Pete Nance, with the guards that you can survive in an efficient game from Cable Love. Mm-hmm. You cannot be a top three team in the country, and you talk about this all the time too. When you're bad defensively. Nope. But if they, if they show up as a top 35 defensive team again, now all of a sudden we've got a national title contender on our and, hands. And according, in, in, in Kim Pom history, that suggests that's still not good right. enough to win a national yep. championship. Because yep. my favorite Kim Pom piece yep. of statistic <laughs> ever is that the worst Kim Pom defense to win a national championship was Baylor in the year that I will... They, they will forever be on my short list of the best college basketball teams ever and they were 22nd and the last thing you would say about baylor is that that team was by definition according to kempom the worst defensive national champion to play in the kempom era yeah that's the last thing i would think to say about that team so now if now if if they play the defense they played the last 90 days of the season sorry last 45 days of the season that's that's they're they should finish inside the top 22 at Kempom efficiency from an efficiency standpoint. But like to win a national championship, the history suggests that what they were last year, it makes sense that they came up just short. Mm-hmm. We'll see what their whole body of work on the defensive end looks like this year. But that was, I found this, I found this stat when I was doing conference preview preparation, um, but I had to bring it to this podcast. Well, I'm going to talk about it again when we do the ACC yep. preview. I, I, I just am. Um, but that's, um, I think that's an overlooked part of what happened at the end of the season for the Tar Heels. Big fan. That's all I got. What's all your right. last one? Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. This is right there on the top of this makes all the sense in the world. Okay. Nine teams attempted at least 29 three-pointers per game last season. Okay. Seven of those teams shot at least 35% from three. Okay. You take a lot, you make a lot. Sure. Two teams <laughs> did not shoot at least 35%. Okay. One of them was Western Carolina at 31.9%. Okay. That's a lot of threes, not a lot of makes. Yes. Would you like to guess who the other team was? Is, Saint, is it St. John's? No. <laughs> that would have been perfect. I'd have been, I, I might have just... You might have just had to hand it to St. John's and everyone. No, possible. no. This team is e- even more in line with this statistic. Take a lot of shots, miss a lot of shots. Is it Memphis? No. Am I going to be like, oh yeah, duh, when I, I when think you so. tell me? What, what programs do you associate, what high major programs do you associate with three-point shooting? Purdue, but Purdue was really good last yeah, year. Yeah, no, it's not Purdue. Iowa? But no. I don't think it would have been Iowa. Yeah. I believe Purdue was one of the teams that took at least 29, but they made a good percentage of it. Yeah. yeah. That that take a lot of threes. And we talked about this last season. <laughs> we talked about this last not, season. Not extensively, but I think we brought it up at least once or twice, that this team... Just could not hit shots to make their lives, but they were still letting them fly. 
It's a Power Five school. It is. Very good program. They had a good season. Good program, had a good season. Just couldn't stop the hemorrhaging of missed three point shooting. Usually they are. Is that Alabama? Yeah. Yeah. 30.9%. Oh, that's horrendous. That is that, but you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's a team that that takes a lot of three point shots. Yeah, <laughs> they, they were the only basketball team that was relevant in the college landscape, who was right up there taking the most three pointers in the country. I just could not make them to save their lives. Man, that is, you're right. That is so on brand. That is so on. Because usually, usually they're actually a good three, maybe not great, but a good three point shooting sure. team. Yeah, where this is not a concern. But do you remember that? I feel like we yes. had at least that conversation. We definitely because. Because there were people last year who were like, Alabama's going to win the national championship. Yeah. And I just never... Okay, let's see. I, I'm, I want to take a look at individual three-point shooting percentages. So nobody was above 36 and a half. Only two guys were above 35. And only three and, guys were above 30. And... And there were one, two, three, four, five, five guys taking at least two a game. And there were two, there's a guy taking eight and a half. Six guys game. taking at least two, right? Excuse me. Yes, six. Sorry. Um, yeah, that's um, that's impressive. Correct. And one of the guys that finished above 30% was a guy named Tyler Barnes <laughs> who played 2.8 minutes a game and, and, appeared, only played in four and appeared in four of them. <laughs> He got that start, though. He did get that start. He he, I'm, he had to have been a senior on senior night, right? That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth year senior on senior <laughs> night. Atta boy, Tyler. <laughs> My man Tyler averaging. He, he let's see, we, we 2x, 3x. We, he 6x'd his scoring averages from two years ago. Atta boy. And has infinitely, infinitely multiplied his scoring averages from the first three years of his career. Good for him. A journeyman college basketball player. Shouts to Tyler Barnes from St. Xavier High School. Oh. In Louisville. How about, How about that? that? How about that? Yeah. Credit to Nate Oates. Credit to Nate If Oates. you want to put it that way. if He's not going to change how he plays. He's not going to waver in his belief in the analytics. Sometimes it just doesn't go that well for you. Sometimes it and just doesn't go that that's what happened last yes. season. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What a fun exercise. Um, do you have anything else that didn't quite make your list that you're just, just kind of nagging at you? I have a fun fact that is not a statistic. Okay. I'm very excited to share when we get to our ACC preview. Okay. Just looking at our friend Tyler made me think of it. Mm. But I'm I'm saving it. Tyler Barnes made you <laughs> think about a fun fact? Yes. Well, shouts to Tyler. Contributing to the... <laughs> To the to the Jays for Days podcast. That's really all I've got, though. All right. Yeah, that's all I've got as well. What's next week? Are we previewing next week? No, we've got our storylines. Right. Okay. So still got a couple weeks before we're talking. Before we're talking about the ACC, but we're very very close um, to to previewing the college basketball season. We got one more kind of summer rewind podcast to go through, and then we'll we'll hop into to teams this year we're now less than two months away from the beginning of the college basketball season i am pumped um you got anything else i'm out of things all righty please subscribe to the jays for days podcast on apple podcast spotify and google podcast follow us on twitter at jays for days pod check out the youtube channel all of that fun stuff down there in the corner um and we'll be back next week thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.